Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dane Wigington to the show today to talk about one of the most important things going on in the world with humanity and all biological systems, and it is the geoengineering of all of life and the geoengineering that is dropping chemicals down on all biological systems, altering the web of life, creating destruction in agriculture, in the water supplies, in the weather, in climate. And of course, this is justified by people saying they're fixing the atmosphere because of climate change. Dane is one of the people that actually can keep all of us clear on what we need to know today, what's the most important information, how to hold the information of what's happening to our planet and the ecosystem. And he separates fact from fiction. He looks at real data. So he's not here to frighten everybody. He's here to make us very clear that what's at stake in the synthetic geoengineering of all of life is the end of life as we know it. A little bit about Dane. He has a background in solar energy. He's a former employee of Bechtel Power Corporation. He was a licensed contractor in California and Arizona. And he has been engaged in constant climate geoengineering research for over a decade. He has one of the largest renewable energy homes, a 1,600-acre wildlife preserve next to Lake Shasta in Northern California. He has had significant experience with solar, and he is looking at the blocking of the sun, the web of life being defiled, the chemicals and the nanoparticulates and the metals that are being dumped on us via geoengineering planes are altering life as we know it. We want to talk about a document called Owning the Weather 2025. We want to talk about this. This document startled me some years ago when I read it. It horrified me. And I want you to welcome one of the most important people probably on the planet who is that clear about what this is and isn't. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dane Wigington to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Thank you, Kim. You have a very accurate description of the gravity of this issue. And uh, yes, that's the, that's the point we're trying to convey to people so that they don't mark this on their list as just another issue they need to consider, but rather a priority issue. If, if we don't deal with this one, then all their points or all of the challenges soon enough will become moot. One of the things I really appreciate about you is that you are a person who is constantly dealing with laboratory data. You test everything, you look at the tests, and there's nothing more powerful than when the data comes back and shares itself with us and tells us what's really going on. Now, earlier in one of your interviews, and I don't remember with whom, you had talked about parts per billion testing. And I guess early on when you started to look into this, the parts per billion of nanoparticulates of metals was much smaller. And then on the show that you were on, you talked about the parts per billion going from one thing to 3,450 parts per billion. Do you remember what the initial number was? Yes, the initial lab test I took that I, I really hoped I would not find anything in the rain because I, I certainly didn't want to believe this was going on and, and didn't want to believe these materials were falling on everything. But the, an initial lab test of seven parts per billion of aluminum, and even that is high given my location. It's quite high. And, and the first thing I did with that test was talk to a hydrogeologist who made it clear that I shouldn't have that much metal in my rain unless, in his words, unless I live next to an Alcoa factory, which of course I don't. I live in a forested 
it's considered a filtered location because there's no blowing dust or any source of that sort of contamination. Urban setting, trains, nothing. There's nothing near me. So he felt certainly I should be less than one PPB, less than one part per billion. So in the next five years, yes, we had a lab test go as high as 3,450 parts per billion, which is almost a 50,000% increase. And this is just highly toxic rain, period, extremely toxic. And uh, so much so, it's so much metal has built up in our soils here, Kim, that it's actually changed the forest floor pH. That takes a tremendous amount of metal. When I travel, like, for example, I was in Europe last year. I was in the south of France. I was in Switzerland. And I was in England. And in every location, even places I thought it would never be happening, they were spraying the air. There were planes everywhere. Now, some people will say, look, that is a contrail. They're not planes that are meant for just spraying only. But when I've traveled, Dane, in an airplane, I never see trails coming out of the plane. How come that is? Well, most people at this point don't know what a natural cloud is from an aerosol cloud. They don't know the difference because the aerosol clouds or, or the created clouds are in everything. They're in advertisements. They're, they put them in kids' animated films, literally, over the hedge. Uh, some of the Disney films, Cars, they have these, these trails in the films to try to condition the kids early on. So the, the power structure clearly planned on laying the groundwork for, for continuing these operations forever. Apparently they thought without consequence. Now the consequences we know are, are putting all life on the planet at risk. But as far as these being condensation trails, most jet aircraft engines, uh, almost with no exceptions, all commercial aircraft engines are high-bypass turbofan engines. 80% of the air that passes through those engines is non-combusted. These engines by design are nearly incapable of creating a condensation trail. Only under the most extreme conditions can they create the smallest, sh most short-lived, almost transparent trail. And, and so the vast majority of what people see, even the shorter, bright trails that seem to dissipate, are particulate disbursements. Even... Uh, the Air Force tankers have high-bypass turbofan jet engines. Only the fighter jets and so forth have a different design of engines, and they're more capable of creating a condensation trail. But, again, when we have film footage of these tankers at altitude with the nozzles visible turning on and off, into the argument, they're spraying, period. So anybody who denies it is simply in denial. And there's, there's no getting around that. And the same material showing up on the ground in absolutely massive quantities, material that's named in, in numerous geoengineering patents. There's about 150 patents. And it, by the way, for a patent, you can't get a patent unless you prove that your particular claim works. And these patents are assigned to Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Department of Defense. Primary reason for global geoengineering, which is climate engineering, is to block the sun. Solar Radiation Management, the acronym is SRM. And that's, that's what got me onto this issue. I mean, I, I, as I mentioned to you off the air, growing up in Southern California, gagging on smog, I've always wanted to be out of that. When I get to the Pacific Northwest with the, the airflow off the Pacific and these grid patterns above my house blocking sometimes 60, 70, 80% of my solar uptake, certainly, uh, you know, that's not what I moved here for. It was clear something was going on above my airspace and that's what led me to the subject of, of climate engineering. But the bottom line is these particulates are, are blocking the sun. And that's, that's one of the express purposes of geoengineering. And, and that's what we see. So quite simply, there's no plausible denial that these programs are going on. We have mountains of data. We'll continue into that.
Why are they classified if everybody all over the world can see them? If you can test in a lab, and I've always wondered about this, if you can test in a lab like you've done, aren't they going to go after the people that are doing this? Aren't they going to go after the labs? Eventually, aren't we going to have to have labs that people don't even know about? I mean, how many labs are going to be able to send back the data and say, look, this is what we see before the people that are making this classified are going to shut the labs down? That's my concern. Well, we've already had tests that were scrubbed from a lab that we know were, were scrubbed because we had duplicate samples. So we had a lab that showed ND, non-detected, for aluminum, barium, and strontium. We sent a duplicate sample to another lab and found high quantities of metals. So this, this is going to be an increasing problem. But, you know, the, the problem with your question is that it's rational. It's logical. And there's not a lot of reason and logic in the equation right now. So yeah, how clear could it be that under any circumstances, what we've tried to argue in, with health officials in Northern California is that there is indisputedly a mountain of toxic metal falling on us. It's a contamination that cannot be argued. We have some five dozen lab tests in this region alone at the state-certified lab, and yet nothing is done. Nothing. They, they will not follow through, and now they've created liability for themselves if we, if we can find the right people to pursue that, because they had, at minimum, a responsibility to tell the citizens of Shasta County, in this case, that there's a contamination issue. That's not arguable. You know, they can debate the source, but the contamination is there. But you have, we're fighting hurdles like this. State water quality, California state water quality, stopped testing for aluminum in the water in 2002. They stopped. Now, why is that? And the fish and game... California Fish and Game, they require anybody who contributes to runoff to test for every element you can possibly imagine, 130-something elements. But they miraculously stopped requiring aluminum to be tested for as well. I had a high-level meeting in the state capitol arranged by a congressional rep, five top uh, air quality people there. Closed-door meeting, told in my face that they are told to test for combustion particulates only, the rest of the sample goes out the window. So the point I'm getting at is the whole system is designed not to show this material. And when they test for PM 2.5, 2.5 microns, at best, that's what they test for. That's like, in comparison to the nanoparticles we're talking about, PM 2.5 is like a boulder. So What is PM 2.5? Uh, it's 2.5 microns, which is, you know, the smaller the particle, the more damaging it is to the human organism. Okay. But... The, the nanoparticles are exponentially smaller than the PM2.5, which is the very smallest the state tests for. So they can't find what we're talking about here they, because the system isn't designed to find it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And let me tell you another thing that drives me crazy. When people hear about this who are not looking up in the air, it's amazing how many of us just don't look up in the air. We don't. We walk around in our bubble. But those that haven't can say... Well, if it were really harmful to populations, then don't they understand they would be hurting themselves, the people that are having this done? What are they breathing? They're breathing the same stuff. Why would they want to do that to themselves and their families? There's got to be an answer to this. Tell me. You know, again, this question always comes up, and it's one of the primary bases of people excusing themselves from the situation. They just, in their, in their mind, it can't be because they wouldn't do this to themselves. But for those that use that as an excuse to deny this issue, which is completely undeniable if one looks at the facts, is let's, let's take some other examples of nuclear detonation. I, I use this often to point out that 
2,000 plus nuclear detonations have occurred on planet Earth. Virtually all life has been contaminated from this, period. There's no debate. And yet they did it. We know they did it. It's a historical fact. We have enough nuclear weaponry to exterminate life on Earth mathematically 12,000 times over. Why would they do that? There's no logic in that one. What about depleted uranium? Depleted uranium is using our ammunition now for the NATO countries. It's incredibly toxic. It's got a half-million-year half-life. So why would... Uh, excuse me, it's got a several-billion-year half-life. Uh, so why would they use that? They, they've contaminated parts of the globe forever, and this stuff is blowing around the atmosphere as well. Let's take the nuclear power plants that many people think are benign. We already have Fukushima that's quite possibly... Ha it has the potential to end life on Earth. I mean, that, that situation's completely out of control, and yet they're building more. They just authorized $6.5 billion to build two more nuke plants in Georgia. So there is no logic in this equation, and people who try to out themselves from this equation in that manner, it's just simply not a valid excuse. Th these programs are going on, period. And you have to look at the logic behind it too, Kim, that for those in power, through their, looking through their lens, and we're talking about people that are clinically psychopathic, that's a statistical fact. 4% of the population is psychopathic, and they typically end up in positions of power, almost without exception. So right now, because they have chosen to use these programs in pursuit of power and control, as we would expect, now that the climate system is, in fact, horrifically damaged, and not just from these systems, or not just from these programs, the anthropogenic activity has done a lot of damage to the climate. And I know people like to debate that, but there's there's no... no uh, substance to a debate against that. I mean, uh, we've damaged the climate, and the largest single factor, not the only factor by any means, the largest single factor appears to be the climate engineering. So as they've damaged the system, now we've triggered feedback mechanisms that cannot be turned off. Methane mass expulsion, this is something your listeners should know about, should research, and should try to comprehend. Methane is is spewing from the Arctic right now. And methane spewing from around the globe. All the fracking sites contribute methane. The Bermuda Triangle, that's what those ship sinkings and plane downings are methane releases. But what's happening in the Arctic right now is a global game-changing event. So the power structure, with the same kind of logic they use, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. So they, they simply decide to do more of the same programs that help to trigger these events in the first place in the attempt to try to hide the damage as long as possible. And we saw this in the Gulf of Mexico, right? Remember Corexit, Kim? Do you, you remember that? Of course, of course. So Corexit was used in the Gulf of Mexico to make the situation better? No. It was used to hide the, the full gravity of the, the problem. And then Corexit was killing everything, too. By some reports, Corexit made that situation 52 times more toxic. But the power structure didn't care. Their goal was to hide it. And the same is true with climate engineering. So they're using it for military strategic purposes. It's a weapon, absolutely a weapon. Weather warfare, we see events being carried out around the globe that certainly can only be attributed to weather warfare. And it's also a means of trying to hide the severity of the problem. Anybody who lives in the East right now, the Eastern U.S. believes the whole planet is, is freezing over. Couldn't be further from the truth. Have you seen, Kim, the, it's, uh, they're called un undulatus apparatus the very strange cloud formations that have been filmed a lot lately from underneath. It looks like an ocean from underneath. Not recently, I haven't. If people look this up, these are clouds that were only identified in 2009. Now, did they not exist before then? Likely not. This is a sign of the atmosphere stratifying. It's starting to stay in layers. It's not mixing. This is not a good sign. 
And so, and this is indicative of geoengineering. So they, when they do these chemically nucleated snowstorms, which they're doing on the east, one after another after another. And I want you to explain that as you can. Yeah, what that is, for, for people who haven't heard of this issue or don't understand the full scope of what they can do, they can absolutely, positively, chemically nucleate weather fronts and turn a storm that should have remained as rain into snow. And anybody who denies this is possible simply has not done any research. So the Chinese openly admitted they were doing this. Mainstream media covered it. In fact, when they the third time around, the Chinese Bureau of Weather Modification did this over Beijing. They caused a billion dollars worth of damage, and they they shut up after that because it's heavy, wet snow. It's it's uh, has far too much moisture content because it shouldn't be snow to begin with. So they chemically nucleate it, and it, it does horrific damage. It's like concrete. So they can chemically nucleate the snow. They can chemically nucleate the clouds, and that that creates a cold layer of air that comes down. It, it, it dissipates much of the moisture. but So you have this cold layer on the ground. It creates a lot of temperatures, uh, a lot of reduced temperatures, headlines, a few records here and there. But at what cost? You have So you picture a cold layer on the ground and a warmer layer above. And I just talked to a, a, a very frequent flyer 15 minutes ago before you called, and he's noting temperature rises of 30 degrees or more as the plane takes off the deck He's up at nine, ten thousand feet. Instead of it getting colder, it gets thirty degrees warmer, and that's because of the stratification of the atmosphere, and that's really a result of the of the sprayed aerosols and the effect they have on the wind currents and the mixing of the atmosphere. So, what I'm getting at is they are changing the entire composition of the planet's life support systems in a very negative and horrific way. So, uh, we're seeing signs of again, like these clouds that were only identified in in 2009, and this should be a huge red flag to people, the things that have never been seen before. Remember the ice boulders in Lake Michigan? Did you see that? Yes. 75-pound ice boulders. That's only been seen the last three years on on various occasions now. Why did this phenomenon just start to happen? Because of the chemical ice nucleating material. It forms a core, keeps nucleating around that core, and there you have it. And then you have the iced-over lakes now that they're making headlines out of. Well, you have a cold air at the ground, again, geoengineered. And I just posted an article today I hope people look at. It's on the, uh, it's at our site, geoengineeringwatch.org. And I posted the maps that show a completely unnatural situa- situation. The western U.S., again and again and again, frying at far above normal temperatures. Eastern U.S., far below normal. So the engineered nature of our weather patterns becomes visible. So on, on the ice on the surface of the Great Lakes... The last nucleated event we had in Northern California, we had ice sitting on ponds here with pond water at 40 degrees, nighttime lows in the low 40s, daytime highs in the mid-60s. We had ice for three weeks. Now, how can that possibly be? It's from chemical nucleation. And the the articles we have posted on Geoengineering Watch right now show short video lab tests showing people with their own eyes how powerful these chemical nucleators are. And there's also biological nucleators. And, and on both of these tests, when you mix barium hydroxide with ammonium, there's, there's two separate lab tests we show in these videos on, on articles. That can lower temperatures as much as 100 degrees. With a biological nucleating agent, uh, a few drops dripped in, uh, uh, put into a, a vessel of water freezes the entire vessel instantly. This is how powerful some of these nucleators are. So the science is there. I encourage people to look. They must, they must begin to realize these weather scenarios we see, there is no natural weather, none, on planet Earth right now. So 
Um, people, again, need to wake up to this issue, and, and the reason it's a priority issue for me, as you said, it stated very eloquently in the beginning of the show, it's shredding the web of life from top to bottom, toxifying the entire planet, tearing the atmosphere apart, and toxifying every breath we take. I want to share something with you and the audience. In 2009, I did a show on carbon dioxide. I really wanted to learn about it, and I didn't want any politics entering the situation because I considered myself an environmental advocate, okay? And I'm for the web of life. I'm for the best of the best that can be for all living things. After I did that, I started to go from one piece to the next piece to the next segment to the next segment, everything that I could find in every facet of climate and weather. Then I got a death threat, and then at some point I was attacked over the CO2, It seems to me after doing, I don't know, maybe 36 or 37 segments on this, when I originally during the Copenhagen Climate Conference in 2009, I wrote a long article on its rainmaking time saying that there is no whole systems approach to looking at climate, that if you can distort what carbon dioxide really is, if you can not take into consideration the geoengineering then the truth can never be on the table because you'll distort everything in sight that goes on. Well, anyway, after 35 or 36 shows, it occurred to me that this would become the reason, the front. They needed a reason to say, we're going to geoengineer everything. We're trying to save the climate. We're trying to save the world. And all us environmentalists would just fall for it. I didn't fall for it. I stood up in 2009 and said, this is insane. Not one group has said, this is altering our weather and climate forever. It was never even mentioned at any of the climate conferences. And that's how I knew that the climate changing and blaming CO2 was a farce. Aside from other things, it was a farce. What do you feel and think about it? It's a complex equation, and we can't really put it in one box or another. Sure. Now, this this is what I would say is that, I mean, CO2 is a problem, but the greatest climate disrupting factor today is, I think, inarguably climate engineering. Now, if we compare the planet when CO2 levels were tw- perhaps 25% higher than they are today, the, the Pliocene epoch, 5.2 million years ago, and we had, instead of a droughted out dust bowl of a western U.S., we had a very lush western U.S. because it rained more. When CO2 goes up, hydrological cycle goes up with it. The planet starts to compensate, and that's why the planet has sustained life for so long. It has compensating mechanisms. So although CO2 in that sense was not a problem for the rainfall like we have now, and geoengineering is the reason the lack of rain is happening, there were other issues with with CO2 rise. The oceans were 100 feet higher. So if you look at this again through the lens of the climate engineers, the CO2 in and of itself, as that goes up, hydrological cycle increases, the rain's more acidic, uh, not damagingly so, but enough, it's, it's actually a stimulant for boreal forests and so forth. So they start to thrive. They start to take up more carbon. You know, again, the balancing mechanisms kick in. Sure. Do you agree that CO2 is plant food for life? It is. Yeah. But you have to, you have to put everything into the context. Sure. Again, plant growth is stimulated by increased CO2 up until the point that the trace minerals in the soil cannot sustain this increase in growth. And that's why, you know, the the various periods of glaciation that happen that bring more trace minerals back into the soils 
and this is this is part of the cyclical plat- patterns of the planet. So, uh, if you went on indefinitely without that glaciation and the trace minerals disappear from the soils, even the increased CO2 cannot continue to stimulate plant growth. But if you look at this through the the lens of those in power, yes, they they try to for their own benefit, not for the common good, try to keep the status quo as long as they can. They try to keep the, the herd from panicking. They try to uh, hide issues like they did in the Gulf. So from their standpoint, of course, you know, 100 feet of sea level rise, two feet of sea level rise is going to be cataclysmic around the globe. 100 feet is unimaginable for people. And what we have right now, so people understand how much seas will rise at some point, and they're rising rapidly now, you have about 21 to 24 feet of sea level rise built into Greenland. Antarctica is about 197 feet. But do you actually believe NOAA and do you believe NASA and do you believe the agencies that are reporting this and the outfits that are actually declaring this? Do you don't accept need, don't, need, don't need to believe them. Okay. We, don't need to, we don't need to believe them. Well, accept could be a better word. Do you accept? Well, I, I don't even need to look at their data to know what's happening because we have film footage of the cryosphere disappearing around the globe. We what have is the cry? Wait a minute. Go back. Go back. What is the cryosphere? The ice realms of the planet. Okay. The cryosphere. So this is where, and I know there's been huge division on this, and I'm not a Gore fan. I'm not a Carbon Credits fan. I, I'm not a NOAA fan. I'm not a National Weather Service fan at all. Right. But we have data on the ground that can't be argued. And this is where sure. the anti-geoengineering movement, what I'm, I'm trying to, like an article I posted today, yeah. with maps from around the globe that indicate temperature readings on the ground. In fact, we're seeing, we're seeing temperature readings light about but not in the direction that people assume. What we are seeing across the board is temperatures being underreported by as much as five degrees on a consistent basis. In the West, we've been at record-shattering heat for uh, consistently for almost a year. Nobody reports on that, and the official readings for the day are typically four to five degrees less than the reading on the ground. So when we start to look at things, for example, uh, and this, this, I'll, tr- I'll weave this into something that makes sense, Kim, because uh, people have been very confused by the media, be- and that's the media's goal. Up until uh, maybe five, six years ago, the media certainly wanted people to know the planet was warming. They, warming. they had an agenda for that, correct? I mean, obviously. They did. Yes. But now I challenge people to examine what's the media saying now. If you watch Weather Channel, you can only believe that their goal is to make their viewers think the planet is a frozen wasteland and getting colder by the day, which couldn't be further from the truth. So this is what I would argue. Yes, they thought they could control these systems. They certainly wanted to saddle people with with more burdens that were not necessarily directly related to the problems they claimed to be addressing. But now the situation is so severe, they're only concerned with hiding it. So if, if you watch Weather Channel, you can't walk away from viewing that and, and not conclude that they've been given the marching orders to paint the world as a very cold place. And again, let's, let's look at data on the ground. Do you remember last fall, Kim, when they, they publicized that the Arctic ice had increased by 50%? Yes. Okay, now let's, let's pick that apart. If you read what the headline stated, is it was 50% greater, the surface area, not the mass, the surface area was 50% greater in 2012. 2012, the ice almost disappeared. So it doesn't take that much to be 50% over almost nothing. At the very same time they put these headlines out, the ice mass was 19%, less than one-fifth of the 30-year norm. Nobody talked about that. So you have very, very spun headlines right now, and right now the goal is simply to hide it. You don't hear much about carbon credits or anything anymore because that's 
that's just simply been pushed by the wayside because now, again, they've changed direction, and this is where people need to change their direction also, that their goal is to hide the severity of the situation now. So this is the point with climate engineering, and I'm trying to educate people on this for this reason. One, we need to reach academia, and those in academia, and they haven't been much help, and the environmental groups have been completely lame in this situation, but... But they know the planet's warming. I mean, there's absolutely no denying that. If you look at statistical facts... Let me stop you for just a moment. First of all, I don't come from the same place you do about the climate warming, only because I've done 35, 36 segments and spent several years looking at this deeply. So because of that, I'm not where you are. However, I am also not where you are in terms of the experience. I'm not an expert in the things you're an expert in. However. I did talk to people all over the world who separated fact from fiction to me and brought me data instead of hype. So I'm not in the same place you are about the planet warming. I don't have a politic with it, by the way. It's not a left right. It's not a politic for me. I just want to know the truth. But for me, I have no yeah. political bent. So, but I wanted to say to you because and be upfront with you. But if I had a perspective in any area, it doesn't matter what it is, and it was so serious that. If we got it wrong, so many people would suffer or die. I would shift gears in a nanosecond. Okay, so that's what I want you to know. The second thing is that because geoengineering is classified, even though it's obvious to those that look in the air, okay, if you look in the air and you're ready to see what you're seeing, you can see that there's an obvious spraying program going on. However, if that is so classified, even when it's in front of your eyes, can you imagine the other types of weather warfare that are going on that could be causing a place like Greenland or the Arctic or Antarctica or wherever there's massive amounts of ice to melt? I don't know. Is that a harp thing? Is that a microwave? Is that a direct energy weapon used on humanity in those areas of the world? At this point, Dana, and I have to be honest with you and the, and the audience, I can't say no. Because to me, this aerosol spraying is the spraying of bioweapons on all of life. Let's call it what it is. It's a bioweapon. Okay? It's also a weather weapon, though. Uh, I've never ever stated anything other than that geoengineering is making an already bad situation exponentially worse. What I wanted to make clear to you and to the audience is that I don't even think that this is the only weather weapon. I think this is one of the main ones. It's one of the main of a few. Do you? We can't possibly know everything that's behind the curtain. I agree with you completely. And this is what I would, again, my goal is to get people, including yourself, and, and I respect your questions, is to investigate the hard statistical facts yourself and whatever fact that somebody brought to you, me or anybody else, verify it for yourself. And here's the statistical facts today. And and geoengineering is making all these facts worse, not better. The Arctic ice surface area, even the extent, not just the mass, but the extent today as of February 15th is at all time record lows. Have you seen anything about that on the news? Not a word. Not a single word. And that ought to send the red flag up as to what direction the power structure is going now. Not what they did before, because we can't stay locked in a paradigm that's changed. What are they doing now? And what messages are they pushing now? 
They don't tell us that the ice is at all-time record lows right now. They don't tell us that we just passed the 37th consecutive year of above-normal temperatures on planet Earth, 346 months in a row. Remember 2012? See, I don't even know about that because I get my data from different sources than the one you're pulling the climate data from that's saying that it's been warming. See, I see it's been cooling for the last 30 years. Who said that? 37 people that I interviewed. Have them put one piece of data up to confirm that. I have. Well, I would like to see it. I would love for you to. In fact, we're here in the Pacific Northwest where the trees don't even lose their leaves anymore. It's so warm. What is that from? Is it from nanoparticulates in the air? What is the causal agent? That's my question. Can't separate these things. You cannot separate them. You can't put it in this box or that box. And that's part of the problem with this issue. Yeah. People want to say it's all bioengineering. It's, it's all just eugenics. It's all just this. It's all just... But I'm saying your main focus is to bring the public the serious ramifications that have been happening and are happening and that are exponentiating with geoengineering. Am I correct? Uh, you are, but you cannot separate the damage it's doing to the climate. It's shredding the... Oh, I'm not. I'm not separating it. That's why I told you earlier in 2009, I wrote an article and said you can't look at climate without looking at geoengineering. I absolutely could not agree with you more. Okay. You can't. So that's, can't. Why, that's why I want to use... The climate scientist that does, the greatest criminals in this game are those that help to hide this from the public and the entire climate science community has done exactly that and when i try to bring this up i was disconnected off the air with uh, internationally recognized climate scientist simon donner who when i tried to corner him on the spraying and he made the statement that uh, yeah it looks like they're spraying but he knew for a fact they weren't and the moment i tried to say how can you as a scientist tell me that you know this isn't going on up there which is it's absolutely ludicrous for yeah. to make that statement. I was off the air instantly. I debated or was on the air with Greenpeace's top scientist a month ago. Clearly he knows this is going on. And for him not to admit it, he was very sheepish on the air. And I think anybody who listened would realize he knew. So you have the entire climate science community, like the IPCC, yes. literally helping to hide a crime. They're, they're accessories in this crime. I am a thousand percent in agreement with All you. All of them. I'm, only, I'm, I'm stating this. I challenge anybody... To prove, and this, this is where the, the equation gets complicated, just because that's the case, we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the fact is, you don't have fires burning all over the globe because it's getting colder. You don't have uh, the kind of circumstances we see with a melting cryosphere. I challenge people to watch Chasing Ice. It's a film that's non-political. Uh, it doesn't address any climate issues at all. It just simply shows film footage of the cryosphere disappearing around the globe. You can't have that on a cooling planet. You can't have methane releasing all over the planet. This is the bottom line. Methane only releases when it gets warmer, not colder. Methane's spewing around the globe. We have satellite imagery to prove it. There's absolutely no question this is going on, and this is why it matters. Because when they come to us, to say, okay, the planet's warming, we have a cure. Here's geoengineering. We could fix it. People need to know that this is not a cure. It's a curse that's worse than the disease, by far. My goal is to stop climate engineering. But we can't do that if people are so completely off base with the true state of the climate, people in this movement, if they're so wrong about their, their conclusions on the state of the climate, then one, Anybody in academia will throw anything we see out the window, period, out the window. And because I've held a certain line of accurate data, verifiable data that can't be disputed, it's not that this person said this and that person said that. I challenge anybody to come up with truly credible data from any source that can dispute the facts I just gave. And, and for example, 2012, 
you remember how hot it was in the U.S. in 2012? Do you remember that? I'm in California. It was pretty hot. Okay. 20, let me give you some stats because I'm not shooting from the hip on any of this. 2012 was the warmest year ever recorded in the continental U.S., shattered former records. 362 all-time highs broken, zero record lows. Now, how could it change so fast to the very next year being this cold zone in the U.S., super warm zone in the western U.S., but a cold zone in the U.S.? What happened? And why does the Weather Channel only focus on those zones where it's uh, cold again and again and again? They don't focus on us here in California where we're literally 20 degrees above average day and night, 24-7, they don't mention it. They don't mention any of that. And, and, and here's the bottom line as well. And nobody disputes this. Nobody. I don't care what they say about the climate. Ocean temperatures are going up through the roof. And, and that's the bottom line with what's happening on the planet, period. They can, they can geoengineer and, and cool things down and artificially nucleate. And if we know they're nucleating, again, if we know these chemical nucleating materials cool, and this is the part that's really perplexing for me, for those that, don't, that, that recognize their geoengineering, they recognize these artificially nucleated snowstorms, but somehow that doesn't go into their equation. And I don't understand that because they can cool. When you have Amarillo, Texas last year, May 1st, 2013, 100 degrees on the ground, all-time record high. It snowed the next day. That's impossible without massive chemical engineering. It's impossible without chemical cooling. So is that a sign of global cooling that it snowed the next day? No, that's a sign of geoengineering. So this is what I'm saying is people need to, they need to back up and look at the big picture. And again, I'm, I'm not a fan of these climate scientists. In fact, I, feel, I can't tell you the disdain I feel for them. I can't tell you. And NOAA, who does NOAA's mapping? Raytheon. Raytheon does all the mapping for National Weather Service and NOAA because they have to control the message. They have to make the unnatural seem natural. Who does it for uh, Lock, or, uh, FAA? Lockheed Martin does all their modeling. You have the foxes running the hen house. But I'm, what I'm saying to people is you can't acknowledge geoengineering and then not acknowledge the totally engineered cooldowns. Can't do it. So the bottom line is it, it's important for us, not, for us not to get our whole message of stopping climate engineering thrown out the window. It's important that people back up, look at solid data, not run on a headline like, for example, the headline global warming stopped, stopped 15 years ago, Right. Well, then how come nine of the last 10 years, and nobody statistically disputes this, nobody, nine of the last 10 years were the warmest on record? You know what? And this is what I want to tell you. I totally get what you're saying, but many of the people I interviewed had data to say the opposite. I would challenge them on air any I would love it. Would you, would, you come on? On would you come on? Absolutely, positively. Okay. All I, right. Anybody who says... Uh, who, who contradicts that data or that position, I challenge them on air any time to, to substantiate their claims, period. And, and again, and I, and I think also in the coming weeks and months, uh, the warming will be so protracted that there won't be anybody who doesn't understand the planet is warming and, and geoengineering is making it worse. And here's, here's one of the primary mechanisms, or, or two, the geoengineering is radically affecting the equation negatively, making things much warmer still. It's shredding the ozone layer. There's absolutely no debate about that. And I don't mean a little bit. We have UV readings now. We, we meet her in Northern California, Maine, Florida, New Mexico. We're getting UVB ratings that are minimally 1,200% higher than we're being told. Minimally, probably closer to 2,000% higher. It's burning the bark off of trees. So what happens with this increased UV? And we know it's a two plus two equals four. When you put particulates in the upper atmosphere, it shreds ozone, period. doesn't matter whether it comes from a volcano or the back of a jet. 
So with this diminished ozone layer, now we have UV penetrating much deeper into the ocean depths, into the aquatic realm. It's killing plankton. We know that. That diminishes oxygen supply. It's warming the seas. It also, with HARP and the spring, that alters upper-level wind currents. Can you talk about HARP? I've covered it, but I want you to share with anybody that may not know. I will. And this is where, you know, back to your, your argument, and, and you're right about this. How much has climate engineering and all the various mechanisms associated with it warmed our planet? We don't know. We can't separate the different components, but it's clear to say it's done a lot. It's warmed it a lot overall. Although they can create the cold, the, the cool downs like the polar vortex thing, if th- that is a completely manipulated jet stream. So here's, let me back into this and I'll, I'll get to the harp because harp's sure. a part of this. The That's big fine. high pressure dome over California, you know about that. Yes, but tell the audience, please. Okay, what, what harp does, it stands for High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. And so that, what that means is it's an ionosphere heater. It's a tremendously powerful ground-based radio frequency transmitter. Not receiver, but transmitter. So when you hit the ionosphere with that, it causes an electrical chain reaction. It can heat the ionosphere to tens of thousands of degrees over huge areas, hundreds of square miles. That can cause high and low pressure zones. So they can create that high pressure zone and keep it there, and that's exactly what they did off the coast of California. So what happens then? Yes, we heard about all these record colds back east. Did you hear anybody mention that Alaska just had its warmest January on record ever? It was so warm, they they really couldn't carry out the Iditarod dog sled race. Why? Because they're pumping this moisture up through Alaska, blocking California completely, pumps it up through Alaska. They're aerosolizing it the whole way with these ice nucleating elements. That's cooling off that air mass. Then they do a complete U-turn, spinning clockwise around the high pressure, pump that air back down into the eastern U.S. where it's now been cooled off, just at the surface, but it's, it's cooled off, and they create snow event after snow event after snow event in the same place again and again and again, and it's all they talk about on the Weather Channel. They, they never even mentioned Alaska, warmest on record. It was, in fact, it was, co- it was colder in the lower 48 than it was at the North Pole. This is not, uh, I'm not saying this loosely, this is a statistical fact. Nobody talked about it. So, but the harp, they can, they can steer the jet stream, period. And there's not just one of these facilities. There appears to be 26 or more large ground-based facilities, an unknown number of smaller transmitters. They're literally ripping the atmosphere apart. How much has that added to the warming? We don't know, but certainly it has added tremendously. And, and now we know from statistical study, what we've said all along, there's, there's some peer-reviewed study out now, that geoengineering not only doesn't work, it cannot work because of its disruption to the hydrological cycle. So as we've always held, it is making the warming worse, not better, period. It's, it's making things worse and probably exponentially worse. So between the, the shredded ozone layer now and, and the climate reflective shield is trapping more heat than it deflects, it can't work. So... How much worse are they making the equation? We don't know, but they're certainly making it much worse. It's hard to separate all the elements in this equation. But um, So, you know, geoengineering, climate engineering is the absolute epitome of human insanity, the epitome. And, and to think that we could hamper the Earth's natural systems is absolute folly. And I, I hope my goal in this, for you, Kim, and for everybody listening, is that they actually investigate. Investigate beyond their preconceptions, beyond the 
idiocracy of Al Gore and, and actually look at the data now, watch Weather Channel, watch these places, and, and it's very easy to see what their marching orders are. It's very easy to see. And those marching orders have changed in recent years, and that should be a red flag to people. One of the things that you had mentioned when you were talking about academia, and I want to go back to that because it's an example of how people are afraid because of their jobs to actually roll up their sleeves, investigate, and note what they see, and look at the data. And so since most universities are government-funded projects, it's probably not going to come from the universities. How do you see the collective wake-up of people in America and around the world transforming into stopping what's happening? Because it seems like it's a military-level industrial operation. No question about that. No question about what you said about academia. You're exactly right. They're all bought, sold, and paid for. And it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult even to get your arms around how something like this can go on with so many tens of thousands of academicians, none of which have the spine to call it what it is. And, and there's a lot of reasons for this. Some are truly so far in a bubble that they have no idea what's going on outside that bubble. But many others simply, and I know some of these people, they want to go to eight uh, to work at eight, come home at five. They don't want to disrupt their job. And so they'll say whatever they're told to say. We talked to a Fox affiliate weatherman who said that he was taken into a meeting with other meteorologists and told that they are not to discuss this issue, period. So we have, it, it's it's truly like being in a B-horror movie. I think we discussed this off air too, that, <laughs> you know, this, that, that all this is going on and, and nobody steps up. So how do we deal with it? Once enough people realize the ship is going down and it is going down clearly clearly there's no way for that there's no way for agriculture there's no way for water there's no way for animals there's no way for humans to continue to ingest this and to have the ecosystem destroyed there's just no way of of continuing i will tell you something very very shocking i did an interview with lynn buchanan a remote viewer from the Stargate Project. And one of the questions I asked him, Dane, was to look into, I think it was either 2020 or 2025, what did he see? And his answer, and I'm paraphrasing, was that we are back to an agrarian society and totally preoccupied with food. Now that is scary. That is scary. Actually, I would, I would see that as a step forward. I would, but I know that so many people, animals, plants, and ecosystems will be destroyed, so I feel terrible. I feel terrible about it. We're in the sixth great mass extinction today. That's a statistical fact. We're losing at least 200 species of plant and animal a day to extinction. That's 10,000 times background extinction rates. That's 1 million percent of normal. Nobody talks about this. So... You know, we're in free fall right now off the 100 story and we're passing the second story. The next stop is a sidewalk. So uh, the gravity of our situation cannot be overstated. And, and again, back to the methane issue yes. that's happening right now, this, this can't be disputed. The last uh, data we had from the ground, a Russian research special, they were seeing plumes of methane from the seafloor a kilometer wide and they were seeing thousands of these plumes. Do you think that that's from fracking or oil drilling in the oceans? not there's no there's no activity anywhere near that area no i mean in general methane releasing methane's releasing from all these locations absolutely it's releasing, sure. releasing from every single oil rig every single fracking site and those cumulative effect is, is significant 
but it's not in compared to what's in the East Siberian shelf of the Arctic. It's felt that there may be as much as 10,000 gigatons of stored methane hydrate there. If 50 of that 10,000 releases less than one half of of one uh, percent, then we have actually a potential of a 400% increase in the total greenhouse gas capacity or warming capacity in the planet because methane over a over a 10-year time horizon it's 100 times more potent than CO2. So again, CO2 not really being the... Um, the main driver? Yes, in this case. I mean, it, it's a very predictable gas. And if, if they were not geoengineering and we would have a handle on it and, and we'd been, the planet would be responding, we'd be in exponentially better shape. But now that they've shredded the natural response mechanisms of the planet, now methane's releasing, now we have truly a, a, a cataclysm unfolding right now in the East Siberian Shelf. And here's, here's the point on this. I don't think they can hide this much longer. And at the point in time they can't hide it, what happens? If the, if the herd panics and they're preparing for this, they are absolutely preparing, they're digging into the, the, their bunkers, they're stocking up on ammunition. We've seen this already from all man security. And at some point a shoe drops, you know. So um, my goal, if we could expose this issue, kind of back to your earlier question, how do we stop this? Because academia has been no help, environmental groups, no help. But once you reach people with the comprehension that they're going down and their silence will not save them, they start to change their attitude. And there are bigger wheels turning on this, for sure. I, I had a meeting at the Capitol in Sacramento, almost top of the ladder, two weeks ago. There's definitely awareness there. I've had uh, parliamentary people from very important countries in this equation contact me as recently as yesterday. There, there are big wheels turning of people who didn't realize this was going on, didn't understand the gravity, and they're getting it now. And I would argue that if we can reach critical mass of awareness, there will be enough people who refuse to participate in these programs that it will change our equation. The, um, I think it was Dennis Kucinich, I could be wrong, but he wrote a treaty to ban not only space-based weapons, but to ban the aerosol spraying of the air. He did. And then something happened. It just kind of went away. What happened? Well, his brother died under very suspicious circumstances. I can tell you that happened. So is there a connection? I don't know. But, you know, I think there's an awful lot of threats going around here. And, and you have also... When all the birds fell out of the sky, remember right, that? Right, absolutely. Okay, so you had outside the Pentagon, John Wheeler, a former Bush aide, according to witnesses, said he was going to blow the whistle on these programs, and he was found in a landfill two days later. So, you know, this is the big league, and uh, what happens with that, you know? I would imagine you're still alive because they are predicting that you're only hitting maybe 8% of the public, the aware public, or something like that. Also, I'm not on the inside. That's true. I, I think that's that's the biggest factor. You know, I, I I choose to believe. Obviously, they could those in power could take out anybody they want anytime they want. But I, I think that there's some sort of um, protocol that separates those on the inside from those on the outside. At least I hope that's the case. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the document Owning the Weather and Weather Warfare. But I also want to say, was that you that I saw in What in the World Are They Spraying? I was in the film. Right. And was that you walking through the congressional halls? No, that was Michael Murphy. Michael Murphy. Okay. That was a great film. You guys did a great job, all of you, on that. 
Talk about owning the weather 2025, that document. I want the public to hear this. And it's downloadable at your site, geoengineeringwatch.org. It is. When people dispute these programs, I mean, when you have a document like that from the military stating their express goal to own the weather, do we think they're going to ask us permission before they engage in these programs? Really? And when you have top military brass stating on the record they consider climate change the greatest threat to U.S. national security. And by the way, the term climate change, let me elaborate on that. That term came about in a, around 1998-99. Now, why did they implement that change? Because they, that's when these programs were really uncorked. So they knew they would be causing these radical swings in temperature. You don't have 100 degrees to snow in one day without a whole lot of engineering. So they needed a term that would condition people to accept that these radical swings were somehow part of some natural cyclical or, or evolution of, of this climate process couldn't be further from the truth. So that's where that term came about. And as, as far as the proof of their spraying, again, owning the weather, that's one document. I found a document on the NASA archives from the mid-60s, 1966, 80 pages long, presidential document, outlining the full scope and scale of the programs as of that time, budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars, it named uh, 10 or so federal agencies, DOD, DOE, Department of Interior, Forest Service, all involved, 12 major universities. This is the biggest elephant in the room. And you know, it's, it's a very sad, sad state or testimony of the state of humanity that so many people have sold their honor. So many. Where do you start? The, the, the amount of people that are involved in these programs and all telling themselves they're just doing their job, that's an absolute spineless cop-out. And it's, it's, it's truly astounding to me. I mean, I've been in the field with USDA soil scientists checking soil pHs, seeing readings that were 15 times above the baseline, which we had. They know this is going on, and they look at me sheepishly and say, well, what do you want us to do about it? They won't go on the record. You know, and it, it, at what point does your job not matter? At what point, how do you look your children in the eyes? How do you do that? I don't know. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. This I couldn't do it thing, either. This is the I last couldn't. thing I ever wanted to do. The last thing I ever wanted to do was spend the last 10 years of my life and every spare dime I could put into this cause fighting this battle against... 10 years ago, it was... Nobody listened. Nobody. But what are you to do? How can you look yourself in the mirror? How can you look your children in the eyes? How can you? You can't. You hear them coughing and hacking on this stuff, and it's a fight for life. It's quite simply a fight for life. Period. I just wonder how all biological systems, how they can justify putting these metal particulates in the air. Is it true that there's 20 million tons of nanoparticulates in the air a year they're dumping or more? Okay, that's a stated goal according to David Keith. I believe the actual number might be higher, but let's just take 20 million tons. That would equate to something on the order of 600 fully loaded tankers with 100 ton payloads every single day talking about it, just an unimaginable amount of metal. And why is it at the, at the climate conferences, for example, Copenhagen and Cancun, record low temperatures at those conferences, at the time of the conference, both, both conferences, even though you had warmer temperatures in surrounding regions, how can that be? Was that a demonstration of geoengineering? Yes, I believe it was. Why would aluminum futures jump 27% more or less after each of those conferences? Because they were demonstrating at the conference their power they either leveraged or coerced nations to sign on to geoengineering as their their tool for controlling the situation. 
nations signed off of renewable energy. That's why all these subsidies went out the window. And, you know, why would you pay for solar plants or subsidize solar plants when you're paying to block the sun? It doesn't make much sense, does it? So, you know, these dots are not hard to see. They're not hard to connect. And the mentality we're dealing with, again, it's the same mentality that's pushed us all to the edge. And we just did an article, by the way, called the PhDs, or, or we posted an article from a group that we we work with, PhDs are ruining the world or wrecking the planet. It was, it's on our Geoengineering Watch site right now. But And that's that's what you have. I mean, you, you have mentalities like David Keith, world's most recognized geoengineer, who's just a public relations prop, by the way. But his mentality is usual that it's that they can just treat the climate, the, the planet's atmosphere, like a chemics or a chemistry lab. It's a physics test. Terrible, unbelievable arrogance, and total psychopaths are at the helm of this. They are. That that's not that's not a metaphorical statement. It's a fact. It's a it's an actual fact. They're treating it like it's their private laboratory. It I mean, is. Seriously, it, it, it's on words. If you have you have you seen the film? In fact, if you saw what in the world they're spraying, you'll see, you see you saw my encounter with David Keith. I did. Bravo to you. Well, you know, it was uh, and and a lot of good fortune, a lot of luck that he put his leg that far down his mouth, and. You know, it's, their cavalier attitude was shown. Do you, have, have we done any testing on aluminum? Well, no. Could terrible things happen tomorrow? We don't know. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care. So for those people that are making plans to use solar, solar homes, solar ovens, and all that, am I hearing a meta message that that may not be as useful anymore than we once thought as an option? Useful, but one you have, uh, when they're spraying heavily, it, it diminishes solar uptake significantly. Two, the shredded ozone layer causes this intense UV, which I mentioned, that degrades solar panels much more rapidly. And it's also making it tough for a lot of plants to even sprout, let alone flower, let alone fruit. And the bioavailable materials are sterilizing the soils, literally. So, you know, we're headed for a planet that won't support life. That's the bottom line. And that's the other part of the equation that I try to drive home with people on the climate, that from several directions, geoengineering should be considered the most important subject of all, period. When we deal with Fukushima or things like that, and, and we, we're going to have to deal with that on probably a lot more levels because there's so many of these nuke plants. But how can we deal with that if we're not firing on all neurons? If we're sucking this stuff up, and we are, all of us, that's beyond argument, we're not thinking already as clearly as we should or would have had we not been exposed to this, and as time goes on, it's going to get worse. If we if we can't fire on all neurons, we're not going to meet any challenge, period. Next, the degree of damage that climate engineering has done to the planet is so horrific that we are very rapidly heading toward a planet that will support no life. And this is where I struggle with people who think they can just duck out of the equation, have a little garden in their backyard, and pretend everything's fine. I agree with you. Talk about this, because this has totally upset me, and I was going to also ask you, should we be doing something internally? I mean, it's going to be unnatural. It's not going to be the same as growing stuff outside, but what do we do to protect agriculture or any form of agriculture? You can't cover, filter, and otherwise control all agriculture. You're not going to be able to grow enough to matter. So the bottom line is, we have to focus on the fact that the house is burning down. And this is part of my incredible angst with academia. You take the average academician in the science community, and they have been well-trained to not be able to render an assertive conclusion without so many years of study that it no longer matters by the time they they actually 
have the courage to say anything. I mean, they, they would literally watch the house burn down and have to sift through the ashes for 10 years before they could tell you that was a fire. I think that's academia, the culture and the system it is. itself. It is. Yes. It is. So, you know, you have, uh, I, I, there's a guy that, um, he's a clinical psychologist who attended the conference with David Keith with me, sat next to me. He knows damn good and well this is going on, but he's so afraid of standing out with his peers that he will not, he has abandoned me in the trench, literally abandoned me. He's spending all his time arguing about, in fact, he lectures on on global warming right now, on climate change. And he, he started that because I did at one time as well. That's what I did 10 plus years ago to try to point out to people some of the data I presented to you earlier. When geoengineering came on my radar, the ramifications from that were so total and so a part of the first subject that I dropped that subject completely to focus entirely on geoengineering because it is the superseding issue by far. In fact, it's connected to the first issue completely and, and a huge causal factor for the first issue. But this guy, uh, is he's an example for academia because he, he continues to lecture on this subject without mentioning climate engineering. Now, how can you do that? You can't. You can't talk about any changes in the climate without first and foremost talking about geoengineering. You can't do it, not, not truthfully. But that's the mentality, and they're afraid, they're afraid to speak out. And then you have guys like Gavin Schmidt, who's a friend of this guy and who's somebody on, on radio all the time with NASA. Gavin Schmidt's one of the world's most recognized climate scientists. He basically lies. I mean, he's either, he's either mentally retarded, clinically blind, threatened, or paid off, I don't know which it is, but he, he lie. It's a, he's lying any way you slice it when he tries to downplay the methane issue that's happening, really tenaciously denies the climate engineering is real. How is that possible? I mean, it's so insane. I mean, all you got to do is walk out of your house. They're paid liars, Kim. They're just paid liars. Any way you want to slice it, again, whatever the motivation, if they're threatened. And I, I talked to some NOAA scientists. I mentioned this a lot. 18 months ago, told me off the record that they know this is going on. They're very alarmed and... They're just afraid to stand out. But the bottom line is, for those who publicly speak out on this, what about David Suzuki? I don't know if you saw what he said. No, tell us. Tell us what he said. He adamantly denied that geoengineering was real and, in fact, ridiculed anybody who said it was. Oh, my God. Now, now how insane is this that you have the whole science community talking about this, and yet, if you say it's already happening, they label you as a nut? Now, I I mean, we live in a very strange world. We certainly do. Very strange. But but I would argue this again, and I'll I'll stand on this, that the changes that are happening that I outlined earlier, changes in our climate and the the meltdown being fueled also by geoengineering that's occurring cannot be hidden much longer. I I will stand on that. I would adamantly and at any point in time, I would go on your show with anybody who claims they can defend a contrary position, I would absolutely stand well, I don't think anybody, I, even if the people I've had on the show, 35 or 37 people, they have never gotten into a conversation with me about geoengineering. It would be great, by the way, to have you on, A, to educate them, and B, to talk about the other things you talked about on the show with them present. I think that would be very interesting, very important, and I hope not for you a waste of your time. As long as I get equal time. To oh, absolutely. Of course. Well, I, oh, yeah. you notice how much time I'm not interrupting you at all. No, no, no. no. You're, 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 you're great. I'm saying some people, they... Uh, no, don't worry. I facilitate pretty good. I'm pretty good. I believe uh, <laughs> You know, some people come on and they forget their guests. They think they're on their own bubble, you know, but so that's not a problem to facilitate. Do you have a few more minutes to talk about weather warfare? 
Yes, I, I, I'll give you a few examples. I really want you to talk about that and about how weather warfare also has a derivative component. There's like a mix of things. There is, and this is, again, where so many people in this movement, they lock onto this issue or that issue, and they try to put this, this whole subject into one box or another box. You can't do that. Right, it's layered. It is. Yes, is there a derivatives trading issue? Absolutely. Does that mean Monsanto is responsible for these programs and controlling them? No. In fact, Monsanto is in this particular scheme simply a buzzard feasting off the carry-on. They're engineering aluminum-resistant seeds, drought-resistant seeds, UV-resistant seeds. And even in the case of those running Monsanto, obviously there's so many players in this equation that don't comprehend that the entire life support system of the planet is going down. So you have that player, and you have the stock trading derivatives layer of this, you have the weather warfare layer. In the case of Pakistan in 2010, I think they, they showed resistance to U.S. policy and almost immediately found 20% of their country underwater. Thailand refused the U.S. an air base that the U.S. said was for weather monitoring. I believe the Thai government knew it was for weather modification. They refused and Thailand got wiped out with flooding, if you remember that. Yes, I do. Almost immediately. So, you know, at this point, uh, the cyclone Haiyan cutting a swath through the Philippines, at the last second, it intensified incredibly. Now, we know they have the ability to suppress cyclonic rotation. We know they do. We have patents for it, and we see them doing it on radar. That's why there's nothing stirred up in the Gulf of Mexico. Have you noticed that in the last six years? Yes. Nothing. Because they don't want that sea of oil spun up and scattered around. So in the case of the Philippines, though, what a uh, unique opportunity to decimate the country, move U.S. troops in, and occupy. It's exactly what they did. So the weather warfare aspect of this is likely huge. And even now, weather warfare against the American population. I, I mentioned one reason why the high pressure over California, you know, they're diverting the jet stream up through Alaska. Again, basically cooked Alaska for January, temperatures up to 70 degrees. But was that the only reason they did it, to create these artificial snowstorms in the east? No, no. If you, if you, for California, if you bring the state to its knees, California tends to push back against the feds, and that's one way of lowering the hammer. So there's probably a lot of reasons for everything they do. And we can't, we can't put it in one box or another. But all these aspects are part of these programs. And at the same time, there's this aspect. I believe, I truly believe the power structure is in a panic. They know that they've torpedoed their own ship, and, and now doing what they do they, they, in their arrogance and insanity, they're trying to plow their way through it with more resources doing the same thing that helped get us here in the first place. But they know they can't hide this much longer. And this is, this is a bottom line conclusion that I'll leave with this on the show, that our paradigm, I believe, is extremely close to changing. And at the point in time, they can't hide the totality of what we face, and they can't hide it much longer. The oceans are imploding. They're acidifying. The methane hydrate is acidifying the oceans also because as it migrates from the seafloor to the surface, it's acidifying the ocean. So you have ecosystem collapse happening on such a scale that they can't hide it much longer. At the point in time they can't, and the herd's going to panic, they're going to do something. Whether it's a false flag event, a 9-11 type event, or, or what, they'll do something. And right now the, the events in Ukraine likely connected to some of that increased disruption with the power structure and the panic and increased desperation. When the power structure becomes desperate, they become even more dangerous. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Dane Wigington, and you can reach him by going to geoengineeringwatch.org. 
I want to invite you to please donate to what he's doing, to his work in the world. He's one of the people that's out there for all of us, drawing the attention to what has to be paid attention to, to one of the most important issues facing life itself today on the planet. I just want to tell you how much I respect you, how much I appreciate you, and how brave you are. You talked about people being on the inside, maybe being at most risk. You're still at risk, and I thank you for standing there for all of us. My gratitude toward you too, Kim, and it's it's all of us standing together that matters, and uh, if we unite and we keep marching together, uh, we may have unexpected success in taking a, a big turn in the right direction with this. If we can expose this one issue, it's the single greatest leap in the right direction we could take. It's rainmaking time. Yes, yes. 